This is Christopher Heyerdahl, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Live long and prosper. Bad feeling about this. Terrors of turning away from the things that I want to believe in. This is going to get pretty interesting. Define interest. Oh God, oh God, we're all going to die? Only try to realize the truth. There is no spoon. You are listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, and now, from the end of the universe, bringing you the latest in science fiction movies and television shows, here are your hosts. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, the place where we are going to talk about all things science fiction. We have news, we have interviews, we have reviews of movies that have just come out. We have lots of stuff to talk about. Don't we, Miles? There's a lot of things going on in sci-fi right now. Yep. And by the way, my name is Scott. I'm one of the hosts here. I am Miles P. McLaughlin. Hello. We are your hosts to take you on this sci-fi journey tonight, and we are excited about it. There's a lot of good things happening right now. There's excellent things happening, especially with District 9. Mm-hmm. And everything else that's going on is really, really good. Just a few show notes before we get started. We had a lot of people call in, Miles, and leave reviews on movies that they were watching. And this is pretty awesome because we get this every once in a while. But we have like three or four reviews of people that either called in, that wrote in on Twitter, and let us know what they thought about the movie. Good. And uh, I love this. Mm -hmm. And so if you really want to do that, if you want to call in and leave your review, we will play it on the show. You can always call in at one eight 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 five zero eight four three four three. Oh, and if you want to email the file, you can always email it to us uh, using the voice app or recording it on your own at zogpod at gmail.com. That's Z-O-G-P-O-D at gmail.com. And we're going to play that on the show. We love hearing from you, not only reviews, but stuff that you think about what we're saying or uh, some of the news items we're mentioning. We want to hear. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great way to get feedback. We'll talk about you know another way that they can become involved is of course the trivia which we're going to talk about in just a second. Mm-hmm. On our plate tonight, you know, is our second part of our interview with Michael from Neo FX. Uh, again, a real good interview. It was a great interview. So I'm looking forward to uh, hearing the second part again and mm-hmm. uh, and kind of working through it and, get, and bringing it to you guys, uh, the listeners. You'll definitely hear this Mike's passion and uh, for, for for his work and. Uh, his uh, enthusiasm for it. Um, you couldn't help but you know be enthused with him as, he, as he's describing what he's doing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, it's going to be a good time, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, Miles, why don't you go ahead and bring us into our trivia question this week. Uh, this is a trivia question that, that will really test your geekiness. Well, Star Wars fans, uh, um, Clone Wars will be coming back real soon, and we thought it would be appropriate to uh, maybe do a little Star Wars trivia. Uh, who has done the voice of Yoda for uh, forever? Uh, so, yeah, who, who voices uh, the Yoda character? Yeah, basically in, in everything. Yes. You know, practically. You know, and so the prize for this week is we'll give away a copy of, in line of Star Wars, mm-hmm. we have a signed copy of Maris Brood. 
Now, if you don't know who Maris Brood is, she was the Jedi that appeared in The Force Unleashed. Oh, okay. And good. so this is, the, of course, the actor that plays Adrian Wilkinson. Mm-hmm. You'll hear an interview with her a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. But uh, the actor that plays that had her body scanned in, and uh, and she, then she did the actions and everything else uh, for it, and uh, obviously the voice work for the video game. So she appears in that and is also a character then in the extended universe a little bit. True. So this is an autographed copy of Adrian Wilkinson's Maris Brood, The Jedi, from The Force Unleashed. And so. it's not hard on the eye, let me tell you. No, no, it's quite pleasant on the eye. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, so this is uh, for you. If you know the answer to that trivia question, again, can you repeat it? Yes. We want to know who provided the voice for the Yoda character in the Star Wars universe. You can call in if you know that answer, again, at 1-888-508-4343. Email us at zogpod at gmail.com. You know, torture and, you know, hunt down miles on on Twitter mm-hmm. and uh, track space and at Son of Wharf, right? Yes. On both of those. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can find me on Twitter as well under Herzog, H-E-R-T-Z-O-G, which is my last name, although I never say it. Huh. I'm not really trying to hide it, but. Not, no, no, you're not. No, no, but. You know, I, I don't put two and two together many times. But, anyways, uh, <laughs> uh, that's it. Let's go ahead and get into our news, and well, we'll take a short break, and then we'll head into our news. And we have tons of good news for you tonight. The Dollhouse Podcast is a fun, informal, and informative podcast about Joss Whedon's television series Dollhouse, where we discuss everything about the show. We talk about the actors. When I see them playing this new character, I believe this is a new character. We speculate about the implications of the imprinting technology. It's like a, a videotape. You can erase and record it. But if you keep doing that, it breaks down. Is the human brain kind of like that? You know, if you keep overwriting it. And of course, we're chock full of tangents. If I die, I'm going to be wedged. Oh, who do you want to be imprinted on? Somebody really hot. So get active and tune in to The Dollhouse Podcast at thedollhousepodcast.com. Well, welcome back after the break. You know we play these podcast promos between uh, two different parts in our show. And these are podcasts that we believe in. They're talking about topics that we're interested in. Mm-hmm. And I would really encourage uh, you who are listening to this show, if you get a chance, check out their podcasts. There are tons of good ones out there. Right. Something, especially if it's in line with a show that, that, that you're in love with. Uh, these guys spend a lot of time researching and doing a lot of good work into it. So, And some of them are really even in touch with the people who are making this sci-fi, either be yeah. it literature or even some stuff on TV. Um, so, yeah, ch- check these out. No, absolutely, absolutely. It is totally worth it. Well, let's get into news. We're going to start with a little bit of TV news. Again, our goal here is 10, 10, 10. Do 10 minutes here on TV news, 10 minutes of movie, and 10 minute and DVD. I think we're going to be short in DVD, and we're going to try and be long a little bit of movie tonight. Uh, that's just the way it's going to work. We're going to try and breathe through. We have tons of news, so we're going to try and breathe through as fast as we can and cover it as thoroughly as we can. I wanted to briefly touch on Miles. We had talked about Defying Gravity a show or two or back. Right. And I've kept watching it. I know I gave it kind of a eh, review the first mm-hmm. time that I did. Wasn't real thrilled about it. I'm going to come back after watching the fourth episode and say that I think this show might be redeeming itself. Okay. Um, 
it's no dollhouse yet for me, mm-hmm. uh, and it's no Terminator. And but it is this past episode. I found myself saying, "This is pretty good. This well, is pretty good." And it and it is a pretty hot show for ABC right now. Mm-hmm. So I I may say you have to go back and watch that pilot after all, and maybe but. You sit through the pilot and a few more if you have time. I know you're starting school as I am here in a little bit. But. Right. Well, if I have time. Um, there's, also, yeah. there's, some, there's some really good shows coming out that I want yeah. to see. Yep. And, uh, well, we're heading into the fall season here in just a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we're around the corner, and uh, I'm sure there will be plenty of good stuff on that's for sure. There will be no shortage of that. My DVR will be very busy. It will. For those of you who have gotten into Warehouse 13, as Scott and I have, some good news. Uh Airlock Alpha has picked up word from from a number of sources that that uh, Sci-Fi already has commissioned a second season of its breakout new hit Warehouse 13, meaning 13 for now, and possibly a total of 20 episodes when it's all said and done. That rocks. That does. I mean, that rocks totally. I love that. I love that. I mean, we our Sci-Fi show got you know it, it's popular. People are watching it, and uh, you know, I guess I'm getting cynical. I'm always hearing. Shows getting canceled, the ones I like. So the fact that they're keeping this one going is uh, makes me happy. And the fact that it's what five, six episodes in, and it's right. been renewed, and we aren't even finished with the season yet. This is good news. Yes. Good news for them, uh, and uh, it's just great. And the creative team behind it is notable too. Right. Uh, uh, who, who is it? Who's the lady behind that? Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, what's her name? Yeah, Jane uh, Espen. Yeah. Yeah. Espenson. Mm-hmm. Who is known for her work in Buffy, Firefly, Battlestar, all shows that we love. Mm-hmm. And she's on the up-and-coming Caprica, too. She's one of the show – what do they call her? A, uh, oh, she's a showrunner for the upcoming sci-fi series Caprica. So. Well, they, they got some good characters and uh, interesting, good, interesting characters to get behind, to like, to care about. And tell some good stories, and some really good gadgets along the way that actually help tell the story as well. I think I think the way they create it, I mean, the creative possibilities are endless. Yeah, yeah we're hoping to, of course, interview Allison Scaglioni in just a little bit. She plays Claudia mm-hmm. Donovan on the show, and uh, hopefully that'll materialize. We're talking about it, but it's a it's a show that Miles and I both love. If you haven't checked out Warehouse Thirteen, you gotta check this out. It is a good good show, one that's worth seeing. Yeah, you won't be disappointed. Definitely won't be disappointed on that one, that's mm-hmm. for sure. In other news, we have Star Wars The Clone Wars Season 2, uh, of course, coming out here in September. It is going to be darker, which, of course, begs the question, uh, Miles. You know, we had a show last year. You watched Clone Wars, I did. right? Yes. And very kid friendly for the most part. Mm-hmm. If you take this show darker, does it cease to become as kid friendly as it did? And that becomes a question. I know that when we talk about the Star Wars movies overall, you know, the ones that were obviously darker, Revenge of the Sith, uh, I thought was a little bit darker, as well as maybe Return of the Jedi. Right. Were the darkest of the films. Uh, in fact, I know parents that will not let their kids watch Revenge of the Sith because of some of the scenes in it are pretty disturbing. It's a fine line they have to toe because they, they want it, you know, it is going to get darker. It's leading up to Revenge of the Sith. But at the same time, they have to stay family friendly because, well, they want kids to watch the right. show and they this want is what they, it is and sell sell toys. Yeah. So uh, it's hard to say. This is going to be season two is going to be about bounty hunters. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to bring that in. There's going to be a whole new complex set of problems that they'll be facing, and uh, we'll just see how it goes. 
it, it debuts this fall, second season debuts this fall. And I do have the trailer here, and I thought, you know, well, let me go ahead and play this just to give you a preview of what's happening, what's going to be happening there. And, um, and then after the trailer, we'll wrap it up and move on to the next piece of news. Okay. I have need of your services, Bounty Hunter. I need a Jedi holocron. Sense deception, I do. You can count on it. Count Dooku's new droid foundry. Jedi Council has to see this evidence. My lord, we have ten garrisons of new droids ready to deploy. I remember a time when Jedi were not generals, but peacekeepers. The safety of the Duchess Satine is of the utmost importance. Wait a minute. There's assassin probes down here. Were you and Satine ever... That would have been problematic. I will take care of them. Padawan, you must be. I sent something, Master. It's the dark side, Ahsoka. Have you completed your mission? I have the Duchess. Very good. Reinforcements are on their way. Let's make this a bit more interesting. Inflict devastating damage on the Jedi Order. He could. We must push on! Forward! We suffer a great many losses in these battles. I'll fight to my last breath to keep them safe. I'll take care of this, Obi-Wan. You, go find your girl. Right. But no, Anakin, she's not my... For generations, my ancestors fought proudly as warriors against the Jedi. Defeat me or die like many Jedi before you. All right, Miles. This sounds good. Looks good. Oh, yeah. That, that, that's an impressive trailer. Yeah. So we'll see. Hopefully they didn't give us all the good parts. Oh, this is about bounty hunters, but don't expect to see Boba Fett because mm-hmm. if you do see him, he's just going to be a tiny little tyke running around. He's still a kid at this yeah, time. Yeah, so, so he's not going to be there, but we do have some other good bounty hunters, it sounds like, mm-hmm. and this should be pretty dynamite. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Stargate fans, uh, sorry, I got uh, some, may- maybe some bad news for you uh, if you're a uh, Waiting for uh, some Stargate movies to come out. Um, the word is that uh, the, that uh, they're going to be on hold. The entire year has been filled with talk of appending uh, uh, Stargate One and Stargate Atlantis, uh, the later titled uh, Stargate Extinction. At one point, sources indicated that um, SG One would start filming before the year was out, and another and another that both movies might be filmed back to back. However, uh, they will be now on hold. Um, the Stargate uh, executive producer, Stargate Universe executive producer, 
uh, told Sci-Fi Wire, we're ready to go. We're just waiting for the right opportunity. We want to be successful with it. The studio wants to be successful, and we really w- uh, don't want to proceed with uh, something in the wrong climate, which I think financially it is right now. He also confirmed that the Atlantis movie takes place uh, shortly after the end of season five, and that uh, SG-1 movie takes place sometime in between when the SG-1 movies left off and where Stargate Universe begins. That is if and when they happen. So it sounds like it's a question of money. It is, and it is. And it's a question of if you wait too long, will these movies be made at all? That's really the question. Now, we had hints of this, but surely Robert Ricardo, when we interviewed him, kind of had that same, which we hope to bring you, by the way, someday, that interview. Um, But he mentioned that there there was a question whether these movies were being made even then, and that Mm -hmm. was two months ago, I guess, almost, that that happened. So not really a surprise for us. Maybe a surprise for some of you that SG-1 and the Atlantis movie are not being made at this point. So, so ho- hopefully they can turn that around uh, so yeah. they will be made. Yeah, well, you know, Stargate's certainly stirring up news this week. We have uh, some news on Stargate Universe. Um, apparently, in one of the episodes, now understand that these, none of the Universe air episodes have aired yet. But apparently in one of the episodes that happens, there is um, a character. Well, let me just read the little write-up that they have for this. In Stargate Universe, the character of Dr. Ellen Perry is a brilliant scientist at the top of her field who also happens to be a quadriplegic. As a part of the science fiction conceit that is at the core of the series, uh, Perry's consciousness is temporarily exchanged with one of her series' main characters, Camille Ray, who is a lesbian. Now, now this is not new, the idea of mind-swapping. Right. That's been done in episodes before so mm-hmm. as a construct. Um, in the course of the story, Perry who has the experience of being able-bodied for the first time since she was a child. At the same time, Ray, is temporarily encumbered by Perry's physical disability, experiences the unconditional love of her life's partner. Mm -hmm. So um, it sounds like the controversy here was the character of Camille Ray, who is now possessed by the doctor, Mm -hmm. makes love to a man. No. As a lesbian. Mm-hmm. All right. So this is part of the issue. Now, we aren't debating how we feel about that whole issue to begin with. Not this but time. <laughs> not, 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 in this, not in this show. Mm-hmm. But, but it's interesting that this, this caused a lot of uh, people who are part of the, you know, the whole... Um, lesbian gay yeah, alliance thing. Yeah. And, and, and the disability rights groups to give some be up in arms about. So they offended two... <laughs> two groups of one. Yeah. Uh, and they did apologize. They said this, that the language of the... the I guess the write-up was insensitive and inaccurate, and we sincerely apologize to those who, have been may, who may have been offended. The audition pages have been under scrutiny, were from an early draft and released out of context. It's our desire and intention to portray both characters with dignity and respect. So whatever. Right. But this has caused a huge uproar and outcry for the Stargate universe. Uh, I actually I heard about it just on Twitter and kind of followed it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's, it's not a big deal for me. And it's but not, I'm not a part yeah. of those groups, and to be fair, if I were a part and maybe real sensitive to those issues, that might be a big, big, big deal for me. It's not going to prevent me from watching the show. No, no, absolutely not. I'm still going to still going to watch mm-hmm. it. So it's Stargate. Come on. Well, in other news, uh, Smallville fans, um, we are going to have uh, the character of Metallo. Uh, if you follow the animated series and the comics, uh, first look at Brian Austin Green as Metallo. Green will appear in a two-episode arc that begins with the season nine opening episode, Savior. He plays John Corbin, a new uh, Daily Planet reporter who, in the aftermath of an accident, becomes the villain Metallo, a cyborg with a heart of kryptonite. Uh, Executive producer Kelly Souders says the initial character 
will be a rough version of, of Mattel. That is a first attempt at technology, and eventually he'll get sleeker. In other words, the first two episodes of the new season aren't the only episodes Green will appear in. So yeah. uh, it's good he got work after Terminator. Hey, I'm, I'm just excited about Brian Austin Green being in it. I loved him as Derek in Terminator. Yeah, he was not the Beverly Hills 90210 guy he was. No, he I was. I mean, he, he played a very believable character in yeah. uh, Terminator. So, And, of course, probably most notable is death just totally shocked the rails out of most of us. Oh, my gosh, yeah. That came out of nowhere. So, that was very, very yeah. well done. So I'm uh, glad to see him acting in another sci-fi show that, that we have some you know admiration for. Mm-hmm. So. All right, into some science fiction movie news. We have, of course, uh, something, just a real quick mention, a movie coming out. You know, Miles, we often talk about movies with original ideas, especially in this day of reboots and right. reimagining of different series. Mm-hmm. But Earth versus the Moon seems to be an original idea where you have, you know, 400 years in the future, this post-apocalyptic world, which we both love, mm-hmm. you know, the moon and Earth go at it. There's a family that's divided part on the moon, part on the Earth, complicates things. That's not a new idea, but the idea of... Earth battling the moon seems to be pretty new. I don't think I've ever seen that in science fiction. Have you? No, that 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 you're right. That is an original idea. So a two million dollar price tag in this movie, and they are hoping to get Will Smith helming it as the actor. So potentially could be a summer blockbuster if done right. Again, all tentative, but just a note. Well, having Will Smith on the project always helps. It never hurts. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Never hurts. Well, uh, other movie news: uh, Battle Los Angeles. Um, uh, Columbia Pictures has announced that the release date for their uh, Black Hawk Down meets uh, 28 days later sci-fi alien invasion action uh, Battle Los Angeles on February 18th, uh, 2011. Uh, Jonathan Liebeson. Uh, That's a good try for me. Yeah. Uh, forgive me if I mispronounce that wrong. <laughs> Mr. Liebeson uh, of Darkness Falls, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Beginning, Killing Room, directed the film stars uh, Aaron Eckhart. Uh, also known as Two-Face in The the Dark Knight, as a tough Marine commander in charge of a platoon battling against an alien invasion on the streets of Los Angeles. The script comes from uh, Scott Silver, who wrote Eight Mile and Requiem for a Dream, who was hired to rewrite an original screenplay by uh, Chris uh, Bertolini. Um, Additional cast include uh, Michelle Rodriguez, Michael Pina, and Bridget Moynihan. I think Michelle Rodriguez uh, was in Battlestar. She was one of the... um, Viper Pirates. Yeah, oh, okay. I think, I think it's Cat. Yeah, I like her. Good. So I think, but uh, could be good. Too mm-hmm. early to tell. I haven't seen any trailers for it. We'll have to wait to see if they sell us on the trailer. Yeah, it's too early to tell. Yeah. In Spider-Man news, um, we haven't heard much from, about Spider-Man. Believe it or not, uh, there has been a writer hired to pen uh, Spider-Man Five and Spider-Man Six. Spider-Man Four has yet to enter production, but that has stopped uh, Sony Pictures Entertainment from hiring screenwriter. Uh, James Vanderbilt to pen uh, Spider-Man 5 and Spider-Man 6. So they believe in the series, obviously. Both Spider-Man 5 and Spider-Man 6 will have an interconnected storyline. Word is uh, Vanderbilt's original Spider-Man 4 script was also to be connected to Spider-Man 5, but the idea was scrapped due to the logistics of filming the fourth and fifth films back-to-back. Vanderbilt wrote the first script to Spider-Man 4 before director Sam Raimi brought on uh, David uh, Lindsay Abair, uh, who did Rabbit Hole, to rewrite it. Pleasantville writer Gary Ross is now rewriting the rewritten script. Boy, that sounds like a mouthful. You write it, then you rewrite it, and now you have someone rewriting the rewritten script. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I know. It doesn't give you much hope for the movie. I don't know. 
Um, <laughs> and, and yet, there's no confirmation that either uh, uh, Raimi, uh, Toby Maguire, uh, Kirsten Dunst will sign on for the fifth and sixth films. See, now this is the part that concerns me, mm-hmm. right? The th- people that made these movies, that what they were, whether you liked Last Spider-Man or not, it was these actors, right? And, and so, if you aren't going to get them back on. And do an entire reboot of the franchise for five and six. It seems a bit soon to be doing that. Don't you wait for a while to do a reboot? Don't you wait for years to pass? It doesn't. Not in this day and age. Which I, I mean, oh, you know, common sense would seem to. People are going to be comparing if they get another actor in for five or six. People are going to be comparing that out the wazoo. It'll be like and Batman. They'll, yeah, they'll be saying, "Oh, it, well, I guess I guess there was precedent. Batman did it." And we weren't. We, I mean, it hasn't been that long since you know the Val Kilmer, the uh, know, George, George Clooney, Clooney and, yeah. and other Batmans that, that played Keaton, him. Yeah. Matt, you know, you know, it wasn't that long before he brought in you know the newest incarnation, which has been the best according to it. Oh, but, I agree. But you, you're always comparing. You're always comparing. Right, and I and, and you know I thought Tobey Maguire did a really good job with the with the Superman uh, well, Spider Man character. He did, and. Uh, Kirsten Dunst, um, what has she done lately? I mean, uh, Spider Man. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. I haven't, I, I, I haven't yeah. followed her career as closely as maybe I should have. But I mean, I just haven't you know seen her in anything in a while. No, no, definitely not. But uh, as far as uh, reboots, um, uh, Brian yeah, Singer have one. <laughs> this 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 defies you know conventional uh, reasoning, but um, <laughs> but maybe, maybe maybe there's some logic to it. Uh, Brian Singer, uh, he never got a crack at Star Trek, but he'll get his hands on Battlestar Galactica. Uh, They're making a Battlestar Galactica movie, Miles. Right, sure. Right on the heels of finishing this past spring. It hasn't even been a year yet since... Not uh, even a year. Right. And we still have echoes of that with the plan coming out. We have that in November. We have Caprica uh, in 2010. But let's go ahead and make another Battlestar movie. Let's let's do that. I and see. it's not even based on the current universe that we know. Right. And that's why we, we, see, we say, well, don't you wait a few years if you do reboot? Uh, we're, we're a bit cynical here, Matt. Miles, just on on this one especially. Yeah. Um, I guess if there's any hope, it has to do with Glenn. Was it Glenn Larson? Right, he was the original um, creator and producer of uh, of the classic uh, Battlestar Galactica series. Yeah, and Brian Singer, of course, is no stranger to to the sci-fi movies. Yeah. comics. And um, so I, I imagine it'll be good, but it's going to feel a bit odd. That, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, I, I still when I think of the characters of Battlestar Galactica. You know, I, I think of Eddie James Alamos playing Adama, um, yeah. Jamie Bamber playing Apollo, um, Katie Sackhoff playing Starbuck. I mean, yeah. uh, that's that's who I you know see these characters. And so, but it looks like they're going they're, they're doing something totally original with this. Yeah. But maybe maybe with Glenn Larson, maybe they're going to go back to what the classic Battlestar Galactica was was more like. How will that happen though in in modern society? How can you make that work? It can't. I mean, well, it's going to have to. They're going to have to update it. They do. They have to update it, but also just the way they told the story. I mean, it had to cater to being family friendly for the late seventies. Um, this is this is the twenty first century. So it, right. I mean, um, there's things they could do they get away with now. So the hell with family is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's going to be family friendly. Yeah. Um, well, the, the newest series wasn't necessarily family friendly. No, it was more more on the adult side. Yeah, it, it really was. Mm-hmm. Well, we have a couple movies that are reviewed. We uh, we had some people that have sent in reviews on G.I. Joe and The Time Traveler's Wife. We're going to talk about those two here in a moment. Okay. If you ever have a review that you want to share, you saw a movie or you, you watched a TV show and you want to give us your thoughts on it, we want to hear them. And you can always, of course, call in at one eight eight 
888-508-4343. Or email us an audio file or a write-up on a review, and we'll play it, talk about it on the show. Sure, we want to hear Absolutely. Yeah, we do want to hear it. Uh, our good friend Don Bender, who has been a, one of the earlier people on the show, uh, went and saw it, and he had this to say about G.I. Joe. Hey, this is Don from the original old-school sci-fi diner podcast that used to be called Dining at the End of the Universe. Oh, yeah, I remember the days. So I decided I'd call in and talk about G.I. Joe, which I just saw this evening, and it was truly phenomenal. Yes, I think I'll use the word phenomenal. It was really good. I think only thing that did better was Star Trek. Like, Star Trek for me is probably the movie of the summer, but... Um, G.I. Joe was definitely better. Definitely better than Transformers 2, and I really like Transformers 2. But, um, no, really good. Good storyline, good plot, good acting, good action, good special effects, good toys. I mean, the planes and tanks and guns and everything was just amazing. The characters, I'm a big, I'm a big Snake Eyes fan, and they spent a lot of time developing Snake Eyes' character. Um, really good, really, and, uh, Snowbird, or, or whatever the heck the white ninja guy's name is, just really, really good, um, storyline there, um, as well as Duke's storyline was really good, um, they, I, oh, it's re- I'm really bad, but I know the, um, trivia question that was asked about the G.I. Joe comic show, what, what line they say at the end, they say it a bit in the movie, <laughs> So it's kind of like a you know a good old uh, thank you to the original show comic that was on TV, but um, no, just really good um, uh, show, good movie. Highly recommend to go see it. Probably will go see it again just because I was a big GI Joe fan when I was little. So anyway, I just have to put my two cents in. Um, and thanks for listening to the Sci Fi Diner. Shouldn't it be S Y F Y? Isn't that the new way to spell Sci Fi? Ooh, fact! Just kidding. Ace. You know, obviously from his interview, he loved this movie. He doesn't. It's not the best, but it was. He he rated his movies for the summer. I believe Star Trek, mm-hmm. GI Joe, then hmm. Harry Potter, and he's a huge Potter fan. Okay, he's a Potterphile. He's a, he's a Potterphile. He, he is. He is a huge Potter, and, and he he loves it. <laughs> uh, but not everyone felt the same way about GI Joe. Hearn, for example, one of our listeners said that the Joe the GI Joe characters were overall so so. Scarlet was a bit sad with that fancy crossbow. Snake Eyes was okay. By the way, Ray Parks mm-hmm. played Snake Eyes, and also complained about that when you have a super secretary military base hidden underground, you should probably shield it from radio wave. And he says. He also said that too many movies these days are, are 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 relying on special effects over a good story. I would agree with that. Yeah, and that's probably true. His final review was way too much CGI, weak bad guy characterization, and more action and fewer explosions. I give it a low three out of five. So he wasn't real thrilled about GI Joe. Yeah. I'll probably get the DV- right on DVD. I'm definitely going to see it in DVD. It's in my Netflix ready, mm-hmm. but. We'll see. He also posted a couple other more amusing reviews. These were not him, but other people's thoughts on it. One guy said, it's slightly more pleasurable experience than Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. But then again, so is a prolapse colon. It's very literary. Yep. Uh, another amusing review was that movie starts to feel like a remake of Team America World Police without the jokes. 
Ouch. That's, so, a, that's not a very flattering uh, review. Not a very flattering as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, our second review came in, uh, comes in from Cliff Ravenscraft. He's reviewing The Time Traveler's Wife. And the premise of this movie, if you're not familiar with it, because it had some buzz behind it, but not a lot. Um, it, it's based on a novel, first of all. Right. So it's a book-to-novel adaptation. And, and basically, this is the premise. A Chicago librarian suffers from a rare genetic disorder that sends him hurtling through time whenever he's under extreme duress. Despite the fact that he vanishes at inordinately frequent and lengthy intervals, he attempts to build a stable future with a beautiful young heiress he loves. Eric Bana and Rachel McAdams star in this dramatic fantasy, which is directed by Robert Schwanke, I guess it is, and based on the best-selling book by author by Audrey Neffenegger, I guess the name is. Clara has been in love with Henry her entire life. She believes they are destined to be together, even though she never knows when they will be separated. Henry is a time traveler cursed with a rare genetic... I guess it's just repeating itself now. But this is the premise of it. Now, Cliff is going to give us a review, and you'll hear that if you want a good sci-fi date movie, mm-hmm. Miles, this might be one for you. Okay. Hey, Scott. Cliff Ravenscraft here over at gspn.tv and podcastanswerman.com. Wanted to call and leave you some feedback for The Time Traveler's Wife. Uh, the movie just came out recently, and Stephanie and I were blessed enough to have some press screening passes to see it. And I wanted to just give you my initial reaction to the movie. I thought it was an enjoyable movie viewing experience. Uh, totally a great date movie. As far as science fiction is concerned, though, I will say that... Uh, you know, it, it it was it was decent. The story was great. The cinematography of the story, I think, kind of just was lacking a little bit. I felt like they, especially like the coloring of the scenes, I don't, I, I felt like it was a little bland. I know that they were going for you know, obviously going through and shifting from time, uh, one time to another. So therefore, there were some times where it cut back to like the 60s and 70s and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, for me, it just wasn't completely there. I'm not sure exactly why. But, I mean, overall, I think that the probably from what I understand is that the the book is amazing. The story is amazing. And I just I don't know if it wasn't acted out perfectly or or what the case was. But my initial reaction is that the story was great, the 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 movie was enjoyable, but there was potential for so much more. Anyway, that's my feedback to The Time Traveler's Wife. So, good movie, according to Cliff. Uh, one that's definitely worthy of date. Is it Does it hold up well under sci-fi? Well, he's not so sure about it. Right. So if you're looking for an excellent sci-fi flick, this might not be the one for you. But if you're looking for a good sci-fi date movie, it might be yours. Good to know. And you always need those. You always need those. You need it. You need to satisfy your sci-fi needs, and yes, you need to satisfy your significant others' uh, romantic, romantic needs. Yes, definitely, exactly. Definitely. Uh, District Nine, of course. This is no news to anyone who's been following the news at all. District Nine, Nine did real well this past weekend. Not a blockbuster like Kong or Lord of the Rings for Peter Jackson, but still good. It claimed the top spot, unsurprisingly, uh, earning. $37 million this past weekend, and of course made money its first weekend out, being only a $30 million movie to make. It's a mockumentary-style sci-fi thriller, and uh, featured uh, the first-time director, Neil 
Blonkamp, I believe is the way you say his name. It easily bested second place G.I. Joe, Rise of the Cobras, $22 million. Not bad for a second weekend. And Time Traveler's Wife was third. Uh, I really debated going to see this movie in Miles. But I did hear that tends to be a little bit scarier, a little bit more gory. And I, I tend not to gravitate to sci-fi with tons of gore or horror. Me neither. I, I'm not really into the whole slasher thing. It, it reminded me a little bit of Event Horizon, probably not as horror-based as that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing I liked about this movie is it seemed to be an original idea. It is an interesting story. Uh, I don't think I'll catch it in theaters. So a lot of people have compared it to The Visitors. Okay. Um, <clears throat> was that What was that, an 80s, 90s movie, TV series? I'm not... Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, you have that. And I, I do have a review for that. Cliff Ravenscraft, if you've never listened to any of his shows at gsbn.tv, you really got to go check him out. But he's going to give us this review of uh, District 9 and just let us know what he thought of the movie. And, um, and we'll pick up after this. Uh, there was another movie out there that I just recently saw under the guise of science fiction, and that would be District 9. Now, I am not that type of sci-fi fan. I'm not a huge Aliens fan. I I like time travel. I like Doctor Who. I like Star Trek. I like those kind of sci-fi. I like uh, to give – I mean really anything with time travel I really do enjoy. And that's why I was a little bit let down by Time Traveler's Wife. But when it comes to Aliens, whatever. Now, as far as District 9 is concerned – I did go see it. I had press screening passes, so I didn't have to pay to go in. I'm actually glad I didn't have to pay to go in. I definitely myself would have never paid to see that movie. Though, since I went, I'm kind of glad that I went. Um, It's a movie that I'll never have any desire to ever see again. Uh, The first, probably the first half or three-fourths of the movie is a little depressing, actually. But... Um, you know, it, 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 the story moved along it, and, it, and it had a plot, it had a story. Uh, and, and so, you know, it, it wasn't bad. I, I, I don't, I don't think that I, it was a waste of my evening by any stretch of the imagination. Now, those of you who really enjoy alien style movies, you'll probably love this one. It was done, uh, pretty well as far as special effects go. The one thing I didn't like was that, uh, every time somebody got killed or shot or whatever, the special effects on that end of it made me feel like I was watching a video game. So uh, there's a lot of gore in the movie, uh, very, very gory movie. But at the same time, some of it is just so over the top that it's just like, man, that is that is cheesy. But Again, those are my opinions. I'm not a, I'm, I'm not as big a sci-fi fan as maybe a lot of people think uh, make me out to be. But anyway, I just wanted to leave you a little feedback for those shows. So anyway, I hope things are well. Thanks for doing your podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Oh, and you just got done hearing Cliff's review of District 9. He was not, not really his type of movie, you know, mm-hmm. like you said. Uh, and I'm not sure it'd be my type of movie. Nonetheless, it is it's certainly doing well, and there's a lot of buzz about this movie right now, and it's doing well for him. Sounds like some movie to put on DVD. It, it's one Watch that it. I will definitely Netflix. Yeah. I will definitely Netflix it. Mm-hmm. Let's move into a sci-fi DVD and video notes. We have two notables this week. Absolutely. Um, uh, anybody remember The Last Starfighter back in the 80s? Um, it is coming out on uh, DVD and Blu-ray this week. Um, it sort of took place... Um, 
the height of uh, video games back in the early mid '80s. It's a, about a guy who plays uh, um, this video game, but it's not just a video game. It's to you know, the, there's aliens looking for people who can uh, um, fight with them, and he got the winning score, and so he ends up fighting um, he with, the, with these uh, other aliens uh, to help defend this alien planet. And uh, Smallville, the complete eighth season, um, also available this week on Rigor and Blu-ray. Um, it's available at our store, so check out uh, my sci-fi uh, store. You will um, find some savings for yourself there, but also uh, we'll, we'll, we'll benefit a little from it also. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. And, you know, I think 25th Anniversary Edition gives a lot of special features in it that you won't see necessarily Right uh, on the other on the other editions of it, mm-hmm. and Smallville. This is again decently priced, thirty five bucks. If you're just going to get the regular DVD set for mm-hmm. the entire season, and that's not bad. No, it's not bad at all. Not bad. Uh, by the way, the, the last Starfighter is nineteen dollars for Blu-ray. That's a, a very good price. That's a great price if you're going to buy something in Blu-ray. So. And last uh, Starfighter was a pretty good movie for its yeah. time. Yeah. All right. Well, after the break, we're going to bring you the interview with Michael from NeoFX Part Two. Good deal. You know, it's like, yeah, I still got a little Star Trek in me. I'm built up mid 24th century civilian clothing. Well, next time you see a guy that looks like Wolverine, poke me. Cocktail. Highball and cocktail. Highball. Cocktail. Oh, God. This is getting bad. You're listening to Trekcast, the Star Trek podcast. www.trekcast.com. Listen to Trekcast, it'll save your virtual life. All right, welcome back after the break. We, of course, are bringing you the second part to a very, very special interview that we had, one that we were really excited about. Who is this, Miles? Uh, this is Michael Strzok from uh, NeoFX. He has done the uh, CGI work for uh, Starship Farragut and has well contributed to some of, of uh, the, the CGI for uh, the uh, independent Star Trek film uh, of Gods and Men. Yeah. And he's more noted, he's again working in animation. This is the animated series that you're going to be hearing a lot of talk about in this episode, the second part that we're telling you. Right. Farragut is, Star Trek Farragut has t- taken on uh, doing animated episodes in, in the style, the filmation style back in the early 70s. And uh, Michael Strzok talks about how he, uh, just how he went about it. So it's, uh, um, you know, if, if you're a fan of Star Trek, a fan of uh, Star Trek the Animated Series, uh, you'll definitely want to hear this interview. Yeah. If you need to hear part one, go back to episode 28 and listen to it. Mm-hmm. It's really good, really good interview. Well, without any further ado, let's go ahead and put it on. Okay. So let's fast forward to... Uh, Farragut and look at some of the parallels. Well, Farragut is a live-action fan project uh, spearheaded by Farragut Films, John Broughton, and, and that gang. We've always been a film uh, filmation kind of fan, but we've also felt that we were we would have the ability to do our own fan film uh, if we wanted to. So it was kind of great that we ended up working with Farragut Films because they gave us the opportunity to take that to the into the third dimension to the second dimension and make it, you know, uh, basically a, a Filmation-style cartoon. But since we were spearheading this as opposed to Farragut Films, all I would need from the Farragut crew is their voices. I don't need any sets. I don't need any 
uh, costumes. I don't need any makeup. Uh, so let's, you know, we're going to do this. So again, we developed what characters would be on there. We kept uh, the majority of the main crew, uh, you know, the, the four big top people, Carter, Smithfield, Tackett, and Prescott. Uh, the communications officer is the person that you see in the very first episode of the captaincy. And the doctor and the chief engineer are played by the same people. Other than that, we had open, you know, characters for security, uh, and then a helm and navigation person. Okay. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to take this to the, to the next level. Uh, one of the big limitations of original Star Trek, as I mentioned, was the money situation. And in, in a fan film, that even becomes more, and excuse the pun, paramount, uh, <laughs> because fan films have no money to, you know, to do some of the adventures that you know, some of these writers uh, would want to do. You know, again, Thalen would be an expensive character to do as just a one-off just because it takes a lot of time and makeup just to get the character looking right. Right. So in an animation uh, format, you don't have those limitations. So what we did is we, you know, developed who the crew would be, but then I wanted to take it kind of to the next level. Everybody's done a fan film, it seems. If you go on the Internet and look up fan films, everybody's doing one from before, you know, Kirk and Spock to all the way past, you know, uh, the next generation. So everybody seems to be doing a fan film, but I think one of the things that uh, a lot of those fan films kind of miss is the opportunity to bring in real actors. Everybody wants to play the captain. Everybody wants to be on screen, even if they, you know, they may not be suited for it. They may not be actors. They may not be physically uh, the, the right shape to be what, people would consider a captain or, or whatever. So we wanted to do something with a little bit more, I don't know, you know notoriety and not just, just do it ourselves. Cause in animation, you could do that. You could, you could be every voice out there. As long as you're able to change it, you could do it. But we wanted to bring in some, some professional actors and, uh, and that's a, that's a whole nother story about how we had to join uh, the Screen Actors Guild in order to do that because you just can't give an actor a call on the phone and say, hey, you want to record this line for me? There's all kinds of formalities that you have to go through. Right. And I I have to hand it to Chase Masterson. You know, and just because I happen to know Jack Trevino from working on Of Gods and Men, he kind of introduced me to Chase. And she kind of really, I have to hand it to her, spearheaded helping us get into the Screen Actors Guild, so that we could hire them to uh, do these voices. Oh, wow. But then, yeah, but then once you get into that kind of inner circle, or at least on the, in my case, the boundaries of the inner circle, uh, you end up, it, it kind of snowballs. So first we got Chris Doohan, who is, is, you know, he works at Kaiser Permanente down in California. He's not a professional actor by trade, but he's wanted to get into it just obviously because of his, uh, uh, you know, his upbringing and seeing, you know, his, one of his best friends is Danny Bonaducci. And I got a whole other story about that when we were in the recording studio and, and Danny almost came in and, uh, uh, you know, recorded a couple lines, but unfortunately he was out of town. But anyway, we had Chris doing almost from the beginning after we contacted him and then Chase came on board. After Chase came on board, they were my two biggest advocates for bringing in other folks that could really take this, uh, take this project to the next level. So, after that, we ha- ended up uh, being contacted, you know, on a reference from Chase Masterson, uh, getting in touch with Vic uh, Mon- Monyana. I mean, it's a strange spelling of his name, but 
uh, he, he isn't really related in any way to Star Trek, as it were, but he's a big anime uh, voiceover artist. And in this kind of industry, uh, with animation, you really want dynamic uh, folks who can do the voices. Right. It's it's one thing, and that's one of the kind of the criticisms of actually the animated, uh, the original animated Star Trek episodes is that, you know, everybody knows that Shatner is a quote unquote character uh, in real life. He's he's just a character. Unfortunately, some of that personality didn't come over as well when he was just reading the lines for Kirk. You couldn't see him, and obviously the animation was so uh, primitive as it were at the time. That the you know some of the nuances of Captain Kirk didn't come through with the uh, with the animated character, and we're actually getting a little bit of that same grief with the uh, uh, the original cast. They're not voiceover actors; they're not actors in the first place. But it, it felt right to have them in the same roles that they played as a uh, as a live action character. Uh, but in order for some of the supplementary characters to really have some oomph. Uh, we needed to bring in somebody who had experience doing that, and actually Chase had had some uh, voiceover experience, as had uh, Vic, who had a lot of voiceover experience. As a matter of fact, he plays about two or three different characters in the in the episode, and he can't even tell. He's just that good. Uh, and then the, the the final person that came in was kind of a lark as well. Uh, yeah, I'd been emailing back and forth, Jack, and all the stuff, and I got an opportunity. I, I booked a, a recording studio down in L.A., and I was going down there, and this is at the same time that the Burbank uh, Star Trek convention was going on. I, I can't remember if it's a con- I can't remember if it's a creation or whatever. But needless to say, I thought, you know what? I'm going down there. Let me see if you know Tim Russ, you know who was the the director of of Gods and Men, would be available to do a line. You know, the old adage of. You know, you never know what people are going to say until you ask them, and the worst thing that they can say is no. Right. That is the worst thing. The worst thing is that they could say no, and you're no worse off than you had been. But the, the good thing is that a lot of times these guys are willing to help out. And Tim Russ, I have to say, is probably one of the biggest Star Trek fans himself uh, than, than any other actor I've ever met because he loves doing this stuff. He loves producing. He loves directing. And, and he's a good actor, too. So we had this Vulcan character, and it was going to be played by – somebody else probably chase if we couldn't find anybody else but it was just a vulcan character it didn't have to be male didn't have to be female i emailed tim one day asking him about some visual effects on of god the men and i mentioned our project lo and behold he was getting into voiceover acting and a lot of care a lot of actors love voiceover work just because they don't have to get into makeup uh they can sit down do their lines and then walk away with the check hmm. so it was kind of a lark. He was going to be at the convention anyway. We arranged it, and he shows up, does his line, sit down, and gets his check, and he walks away. But it ended up being great. He's a, he's a kind of a one-take kind of guy. Hmm. So uh, we got into that. And then the big thing for me, uh, obviously it's a big thing to be working with these actors. Uh, and I think this is another thing that a lot of the fan films kind of miss, is that they're, they are playing in somebody else's, uh, sandbox, as it were. Star Trek is a licensed property, right. uh, and obviously none of these fan films can make any money. Uh, but it would be nice to at least get an endorsement. And I, I, I every day wish that Gene Roddenberry was around to be able to see what his, the thing that he created was doing, and and just to get his opinion on what he thinks of it. He may hate it, but then again, he may love it. Uh, one of the big things that I got to do, being a filmation fan, was got to, I got to meet. Uh, 
Lou Scheimer. And that's, again, one of those things where if you don't ask, then the answer is always going to be no. But if you ask, sometimes the answer is going to be yes. Mm. My, so mother always said, uh, my mother always said you have not because you ask not. Exactly, exactly. Mm. So this, the story with that is almost surreal. I, you know, I was, we've gotten into the production of this thing. Uh, I was going down to L.A., and I thought to myself, you know, I wonder if Lou Scheimer's around. Actually, it came more about along the lines of uh, we were trying to track down the original music and sound effects from the animated episodes. We knew that we knew that Sam Horta, one of the big cartoon uh, and sound guys in uh, back in the '60s and '70s, owned those original tapes. So I gave his daughter a call, and she said, "Well, I don't have those. You may want to call Lou Scheimer." So she gives me his home phone number, which wow. is kind of rare. It's kind of rare in L.A. as it is. Now, Lou Scheimer is 80 years old. He probably doesn't get a lot of people sitting at his front, you know, front door waiting for him to sign autographs. And he, he's very humble about his place in you know, animation history. But unfortunately, I don't think he, he fully appreciates it. Uh, you, know, you go and do a search for you know, people who really did groundbreaking work with getting animation being accepted as it is today, and you'll find three names, Hanna-Barbera, Walt Disney and Lou Scheimer. Mm, and wow. I didn't, ex- you know, again, you, if you expect nothing, then anything that happens is going to be, uh, you know, fantastic. So I left him a message. What do you know? Half an hour later, I get a call and he says, This is Lou Scheimer calling. It's like, Wow, really? <laughs> oh, wow. Friendliest guy. It was like talking to my grandfather. We talked for practically an hour and I said, Hey, I'm going to be down in LA. I, you know, I don't want to impose or anything. You want to come over and see my house? It's like, okay, <laughs> here's, here's directions on how you get here. And he gives me all these directions to, uh, to his house. And I, you know, I, I, the first thing everybody I think does is Google, you know, an address to make sure that number one, they can get there. And number two, what it looks like so that they can expect it. And it looked like it was just a regular neighborhood. And I think, oh, okay, well, we'll do that. So I, I get in LA and I, and I follow these directions and I get to where his address is. And it's like an empty lot or what it looked like an empty lot. And it's like, oh, man, <laughs> did I follow the wrong directions or something? Right. So I look at where the address is, and there's a gate there. So uh, I, he, he did mention something about pressing a button on the gate or, you know, making sure that he hears. So I press the button, and he says, uh, yeah, there's a little. It's like, eh, um, there's Michael. I, you know, I was, you know, he invited me over. Can we, oh, yeah, come on up. He opens his gate, and I think, okay, it's just around the corner. So I start going up this driveway and up, and up, and up, and I'll be damned if it wasn't just a giant house on top of a hill in a regular neighborhood in, in the middle of the, you know, the Hollywood Valley. Wow. And I was just blown away, and I said, wow, cartoons pay really, really, really much. <laughs> <nice." laughs> wow. And I'd never, I'd never met Lou Scheimer before in my life. I'd seen, uh, you know, there's a, there's a little featurette at the end of the animated episode cartoons where they feature him, and it was about four or five years ago that they filmed this. And he comes popping out of his house, little 80 year old man, not little, he's like six foot three, six foot four, but he comes popping out and greets me. And, you know, he, he takes me up to his office and this office is like, if you're a collector of animated stuff and, you know, fat Albert, uh, Jason of star command, there's a, there's a model of the original Jason of star command ship sitting there on his desk. Uh, wow. all kinds of stuff that I think, you know, a collector would probably just, you know, fall over dead with the amount of stuff that's in there, just memorabilia, 
there was a robot that was on one of the episodes of the live action episode that was sitting there in one of his guest rooms. It's like, <laughs> wow. wow. And then he says, you want to go to lunch? I'm buying. It's like, okay, we'll go to lunch. <laughs> so we sat at, you know, California pizza kitchen in, you know, Tarzana, California, you know, for two and a half hours talking about his history with animation. And the very last thing he said to me was, you know, this is a great project. You shouldn't be doing it for free, but you know, you know, more power to you. And I completely endorse this thing. I'm glad that you guys are still looking at this stuff 35 years later and appreciating it. And it's like, wow, that's the biggest compliment that I, that somebody in my position could have outside of Gene Roddenberry coming up from the grave and, and endorsing, you know, uh, Farragut. Wow. Absolutely. What, and what an endorsement to get, to get the, one of the create, original creators behind it. That's yeah. Uh, and, and, and you have to preface this though, by him not giving me permission because, he even said, you know, my endorsement doesn't mean Jack just because, uh, you know, he doesn't own the property rights to it. Paramount does. Right, And, right. you know, Lou, Lou, Lou has some very uh, firm feelings towards big corporations that try to take, you know, the ideas and, and stuff and kind of mass market them and kind of take the love out of them. But outside of that, he, uh, he completely endorses the concept of what we're doing and, and fully – he even recorded some lines. Uh, for our episodes that he's, you know, one of them is the original character that he played back in the original episodes. Oh, wow. So you actually have him in the animated series? Yeah. Uh, he, one of the things that, that happened a lot during the, uh, the filmation days, it was literally brute force animation. They had a lot of people drawing all the time. And, you know, t- deadlines were tight, very, very tight. Money was even tighter. And uh, you'll notice on some of the animated episodes, even though they're not credited, you have uh, uh, what's his name? Who played the 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 boss on Mary Tyler Moore? Ted Knight. Yeah, Ted Knight. Ted Knight played a few characters on there because he and and Lou has this fantastic story of when filmation was just getting started. He and Ted Knight were friends, and he had Ted Knight come in and sit in an animator's chair because they had investors coming in, and they wanted to make it look like they had a lot of people there, and they didn't know a lot of animators or people, so they just set people that happened to know down and said, "Draw something, make it look like you're doing something." Wow. Uh, but Lou. And, and, you know, when, when times were tough and you, get, you couldn't get a voiceover artist or whatever, Lou would go and record his own. And uh, there's an episode called Practical Joker where the uh, there's a Romulan on the screen, and that's Lou Scheimer. And he did it. He did it uncredited. Uh, but that same Romulan, not the same one, it doesn't have to be the same one, but he, put, he basically we took that image and made it a character in one of our episodes. And Lou actually plays that character again, and it sounds just like him. Oh wow, that's yeah. awesome! That's awesome. Now, uh, now, obviously, thirty-five, forty years ago, they're working with different ways of animating the characters. Now, obviously, stylistically, you kind of adhered to the original animated series, uh, but how is it different trying to capture that with modern technology versus what they were doing thirty years ago? You know, it is kind of ironic that you'd ask that because we have gotten a lot of flack lately. I, I'm not sure if it's just because we didn't, you know, express how we were going to do this or what it would look like. Some people were actually pretty amazed that we went with the filmation style of animation. And it, it, it seemed almost like a no-brainer to me. If you're going to do classic Trek and you're going to do a cartoon of classic Trek, 
it has to be filmation. That's what everybody would expect. You know, the same way that if we would have thrown original music on there as opposed to as opposed to using, uh, you know, the original soundtrack, you know, it wouldn't feel the same. So we wanted that same thing, even if it was over the top and redundant. This isn't meant to be any sort of new and revolutionary type of 3D cartoon or anything. It ends up being just a kind of a loving tribute to filmation. You're playing an homage but, to, you know, the original animation that was done 35 years ago with this. Exactly, exactly. And like I said, it, it, the original Star Trek uh, animated episodes were never, ever about, you know, break, groundbreaking animation. They were about telling good stories in a short amount of time to an audience that loved Star Trek. And mm-hmm. I think in that case, we're doing the exact same thing. We're, we're telling some really good stories. Uh, Jack Trevino and I wrote one story, and then I have a another writer uh, who is the president of Magic Productions down in Las Vegas write the other one, and that's the current one that's out right now is Power Source. So you have, uh, a, you have a second one in the works? Yeah, there's a, there's a second one, and we can get into that after, uh, after a little bit. But mm-hmm. uh, to get to your question about, the, uh, about the, the animation style, what we did is we took it and break it down. Because uh, you know, outside of the music, outside of the very stiff characters, I think what people remember most is the kind of stylistic... Uh, uh, you know, I guess stylistic style of filmation animation. Mm-hmm. And when you go and look at that practically frame by frame, like I've been doing for the last two years, you find out that they they did things to, again, save money. Uh, a lot of times with the lip syncing, they only synced every other frame. So in a 24 frame per second uh, film, you only had to move the, the, the mouths 12 times during a frame instead of 24. I'm sorry, during a second. So those are some of the kind of the shortcuts that we tried to replicate. If you did a space shot, what you would do is you would have it move every frame because in the original animation, what you would do is you'd simply pull it across the screen while the camera was running full screen or whatever. So the big thing that I think people uh, do not know is how much work all of this is to create something that was created back in the 1970s. And we've kind of taken great, great strides That's to make it lot. look like it was, yeah, we've taken great strides to make it look like it came from the seventies. Uh, not so much that all the mistakes that they made, they were under a huge uh, amount of deadlines and, and time constraints. We're not under that same thing, but we made it. So we fixed some of the common editing problems that they had in the past and consistency problems. But really the, the spirit of the whole thing is still there. So oh, you'll have the people, yeah. You'll you'll have the people move in a very similar fashion. The whole, uh, the, I think, the one thing I always remembered from uh, the the show when I was a kid is just how they ran. It was such a stylistic where their their elbows would raise and then they would come forward towards the camera. And it's amazing when you break that down to see how they actually did it. That you had animators who were redrawing each and every one of those frames. Now, we had the advantage of having two of the top. Uh, animated fan sites out there, StarTrekAnimated.com, run by Kale Teskar, and uh, he's actually one of our associate producers on this episode, and he's our main main artist. He's dedicated practically the last twelve years of his life to figuring out exactly what I tried to figure out, which is how they did their characters, what what, what kind of style did they use, uh, you know, how did the how did the characters. Move. How did the cells interact with each other? They, each animation cell uh, is on a separate, you know, layer on a light board, 
and you just simply take a picture of it, move the cell, put a new one on, take a picture, on and on and on. Now, obviously, we're doing that uh, uh, you know, on a computer, so it's a lot quicker in some respects, but a lot of that stuff has to be pre-drawn, and that's a lot of what Kale has done is kind of capture the spirit of the characters, hmm. and then we send them off to other animators, very similar to what they did back in the... Uh, uh, back in the 70s, there, you'd have a good artist who would capture the essence of the character, and then you'd have some of these other artists do the lip movements and the, the head turns and things like that. The other artist that we have uh, helping us out is uh, Kurt Dan- Danhauser, who runs danhausertrek.com. And he's actually gone and done a couple animated episodes himself using the original Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. And he took uh, the route that we talked about uh, earlier where he did all the voices. Him and his wife and probably one other person did all the voices in there. And you can kind of tell, but he did a real good set of stories. Again, it had nothing to do with the animation. It had to do with the stories he was telling. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, it was, the, the big thing was capturing the, the essence of the four main characters, Carter, Prescott, you know, Smithfield, and RT, or uh, Commander Tackett. And then getting other people to participate and do the things that we need, because Kale will be the first to admit that he's not a traditional artist. He can trace these characters or rotoscope them very, very well, and that's how you capture the essence of the characters, by taking real pictures of them and drawing uh, outlines of them and, and kind of capturing what makes them unique. Uh, but it, then it takes a, uh, a very traditional artist to do things like lip movements and head turns to make it look realistic, or at least realistic in the in the style of uh of filmation Hmm. yeah well so so to answer to find to answer the last part of your question though it takes a lot of effort and we've actually had a lot of people ask us well why did how did you do this how did you do that what it comes down to is we produced this cartoon very very similar to how they produced it back in uh the 70s not with a light board and animation cells but by people taking traditional uh, drawings in the computer, like in Photoshop. And if you know Photoshop, they, they can do layers. So you have an arm layer, you have a head layer, you have a mouth layer, you have mm-hmm. an eye layer. True. Uh, we, we could have done this a lot simpler, but I think it, you know, by using something like Flash or something like that, but not all the artists were uh, versed in Flash. And to get that, yeah, I, was, you know, I was familiar with you know, compositing uh, in Adobe uh, After Effects. And then timeline editing in Adobe Photoshop, or I'm sorry, Premiere. So what we did is we bring in all of these characters and we animate them by hand uh, in After Effects, which is, allows you to composite with layers, export that to a movie file just like you would have exported it to film, and then you edit it just like you'd edit any other uh, any other program where you you know use a timeline editor, cut, cut it here, do a transition here, things like that. But getting the the, the strange analog style of doing things like uh, there was always a how would you say it when, when the, the view screen for example focuses you guys know what I'm talking about uh, you're on the view screen you want to change view from view A to view B mm-hmm. and it kind of has that wavy wavy effect does that make sense kind of a wavy effect as it goes from one to the other okay what was happening is that uh, to get the kind of effect that they would do, and this is one of the things I had to consult with Lou about, that, that when they would do these, these morphing or transition type things, it almost looked like there was something on the lens or something like that they were moving across there. And he said that they ended up uh, 
in when they were doing some of these practical shots that they were actually putting Vaseline on the lens to get this kind of blur effect. Okay. And I and when I when they, when he told me that it came almost apparent to me on how I would do that in the in the animated format or in the right. digital format right. where you, you you mask off a section, you blur that section, you move that section across there, and I'll be I'll be damned if I didn't get the exact effect I was looking for uh, just by understanding how the original effect was done. Hmm. Hmm. Like, but yeah, it, it it comes down to basically doing these things almost like a traditional cartoon back in the 70s where you create each scene and then you edit it just like you would edit a normal film. Well, a couple questions here, then we need to wrap up this interview. How many man hours have gone into animating this three-part uh, Starship Farragut <laughs> episode? Do you have any idea? Uh, I do, and it, it's it's <laughs> it's not really good. Somebody's asked me that, that whole thing themselves because they've actually wanted to do something similar, uh, and it, not that I wouldn't do it again. It's just that if I'd known from the beginning what I was in for, I I might have not been so ambitious. But I'm glad I was because the end result is something that I know that unless somebody has the love and the dedication, that they won't do themselves. So we'll have something unique that's out there. So. The first episode is always going to take the longest because we started from ground zero with nothing but the original animated episode DVDs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, you know, I'll be the first to admit that we, uh, I won't say stole, but hijacked some of the backgrounds, re-provi- reprovisioned them, you know, recolored them so that there's a little bit of consistency, and then used them in our animated episode. So we, we basically started off from scratch with nothing. So we, we first did the characters. Uh, developed the characters, got the stories written. So the first one always takes a long time. What I'm finding out, though, is even though it took about a year and a half to get from concept to, uh, you know, what you're, what you're seeing this month, which is the release of Power Source, uh, in just a week and a half, I was able to edit the first act and two pages of the next episode without any problem. So it becomes more of a you know a, a snowball effect. As I get more of these assets, as more of the characters are developed, as more of the processes and techniques are developed, uh, it's going to be quicker and quicker. Now, the, the obvious question that comes from that is, we have two in, that are in the pipeline. Is there going to be a third? And if you would have asked me six months ago, I would be surprised if there was going to be one. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, but as I've as I've come and you know over this last week where I've you know had this lull and you know power source is pretty much done I'm just waiting for a few more frames to get done here and there and I've you know it only took me a week and a half to put you know the first act together I think it's really uh, practical to be able to do another episode but again we're not going to just settle for something we want to kind of go a step above if I'm going to do it it's going to be with a professional uh, writer. Hopefully somebody that has, uh, you know, Star Trek experience or something that, you know, we can attach a name to, obviously, that would get a little bit more press than just some guy off the street or, an, or a fan script. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then hopefully they know people who would want to participate in this, you know, somebody maybe from Star Trek, but, you know, more professional voice actors and uh, things like that. So if we do it, it's going to be a step above what we're doing now. Absolutely. Now, where can fans who are listening to the show find the the Farragut episodes, the animated series episodes? Right. Well, so we're, we're, we have our own unique uh, URL that is separate from the StarshipFarragut.com website. You can still find them at the main Farragut site, StarshipFarragut.com. Um, but we've set up a, our own 
animated uh, website at farragut-animated.com. That's F-A-R-R-A-G-U-T-A-N-I-M-A-T-E-D.com, farragut-animated.com. And you'll find all the, uh, the background on you know, some of the things that we talked about tonight, uh, the episodes, some artwork that people have, uh, uh, you know, that, that some of our artists have created. Uh, and you can even buy stuff. You can buy T-shirts uh, or whatever. Uh, we, we are very careful not to cross the line on doing anything that violates Paramount's copyright. Right. You know, Starship Farragut is, uh, is a unique product. Uh, of Farragut films, even though it's in the Star Trek universe, so a picture of John Carter doesn't violate anything in, you know, Paramount's canon. So mm-hmm. we're allowed to do that. Uh, so, you know, have people take a look at Farragut-Animated.com, and uh, if you're interested in Neo effects and any visual effects work outside of this animated stuff, our website is Neo-FX.com. Neo-FX.com. Mm. Well, Mike, thank you so much for spending the last hour with us and chatting about uh, your work in the the Star Trek uh, fan film base, which you obviously support, uh, but also especially your work in the Farragut Farragut and the the animated series that they're doing. Great, great. Well, I appreciate the uh, the time. I know I can ramble on a lot about this stuff, but you know what? It's just because of the love of the product that we have for it, and uh, it's just it's been a great ride, and I hope it continues. Oh, absolutely. Well, we hope it continues. We yeah. look forward to seeing more episodes. Go ahead, Miles. I just, um, I, I'm admirer of, of, of the uh, uh, episodes that Farragut's put out so far, so I'm continuing to look forward to whatever you guys uh, continue to put out. Yeah. Great. Yeah, not to mention, they're just such great guys to work with. So. Yeah, yeah. and that's, the, that's one of the nice things about Farragut is that it, it's almost like a community of people who are, you know, are all interested in the same things. Uh, it doesn't feel like a job. It doesn't feel like a business. It feels like just a bunch of fans that want to do stuff for the fans. Absolutely. Well, thanks a lot, Mike. We appreciate you uh, sitting down with us on the Sci-Fi Diner podcast and chatting about NeoFX and what you guys have been doing. Great. I appreciate it, guys. Well, that about does it for the interview with Michael. If you have any comments or thoughts on the interview you just heard, please let us know. We always want to hear from you, and we love that interview. And if you didn't like it, whatever. No, we, we do want to hear from you and your thoughts on it. And if you had any thoughts on the animated series or you follow that, we definitely want to hear from you. And uh, you can always contact us. You can let us know your thoughts on the show or give us your comments on anything we're saying about by calling our toll-free number. It doesn't even cost you a cent. 1-888-508-4343. Email us at zogpod at gmail.com. And it's just a great way to get a hold of us, get in touch with us. Follow us on Twitter. You know, Miles, you're at... Uh, at Son of Worf on Twitter. Yeah. And I have a Trek Space account, uh, Son of Worf also. Same name. And I'm Herzog, H-E-R-T-Z-O-G. It's great. If you want to find out more stuff about the things we're talking about, watch some of the video clips, see pictures of what we're talking about, go to our website. And our website is sci-fi-diner.com. And it's just a great way to find out more information, find out more about the trivia, past trivia that we've done. Test your geek cred yes. there. And we will and we'll see whether you're really the man that you're saying you are. Are you the nerd or not? Yes. And it's very, very true. You can always, of course, visit our forums. I haven't updated them as regularly as I should, but they're there for discussion. 
If you are a podcast or listen to the show, we want your promo. Please send it to us um, at the information we gave you before. As always, the store. Tons more in that store than just what we talked about today. Right. And great deals and everything that you get. You, you as a customer will save. You definitely will. I believe that's about it. I don't have anything to say. Okay. Well, um, until then, uh, tell us what you're watching. Tell us what's. Tell us. Tell us what you're. you're uh, what sci-fi you're enjoying right now. And yeah, we'll see you. Mm-hmm. Until then, good night and good luck. <laughs>